Today, I'm talking to a very special guest named Mahil Clerk, and he is a psychotherapist as well as someone who helps us go beyond dream analysis in a Jungian sense. He helps us to do something called dream incubation. And in this episode, we go deeply into what does that mean? How can we use our dreams to understand the deeper layers of our psyche and our consciousness, maybe things that we are scared to ask about, or maybe things we're unaware of, maybe even going as far as to understand that there might be multiple realities and timelines happening simultaneously, and that each of these realities can inform the others. So you might have one reality in your waking state, and you might have another whole set of characters and life experiences in the dream state, and they're not separate. Maybe they can actually inform each other. Now, one of the reasons I asked him to come on the podcast is because of this yoga sutra that talks about this. In Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, chapter one, verse 38, Spapna, dreams, nidra, dreamless sleep, jnana, knowledge, support, alambanam, to provide the foundation. So basically what this Yoga Sutra is saying is that we can use our dreams to understand ourselves more deeply, our, our true selves the part of us that maybe we get so busy during the day that we're not able to connect with that deepest part of ourselves and that it's through our dreams that we can kind of come back home. And Mikhail actually goes as far as to say that maybe some of our mental illness, whether it's anxiety or depression, has come from a disconnect. It's a messenger that we're actually disconnected from that deeper place within ourselves and that this dream incubation and connection with our dreams can help us come back home to ourselves so that we can get back on the right track and maybe through medication, but maybe through yoga practices, dream analysis, we can find a way to come home and understand what this deeper part of ourselves is trying to tell us so that we are living through our dharma or our life purpose and burning off our karma. And to know that a couple of thousand years ago, Patanjali knew this. Patanjali put it in the Yoga Sutra and said, hey, there's this technique. And this is one way forward in terms of yoga. So I just think meditating on our dreams, connecting with our dreams, asking for help and support. That's one thing I got out of this conversation was that we can actually ask our ancestors for support. We can ask our spirit guides for support. At one point, Mikhail goes into this whole thing about your daimon, your, your spirit guide being there to support you and wanting you to take that support. It's a fascinating interview. Another last thing I want to say before we go into this and meet our guest is that 
in the last year, I have gone deeply, deeply, deeply into yoga nidra. And to me, that's very connected to this. I do a yoga nidra every single night to go to sleep. I do one every single morning when I wake up. And it gets me into this very, very deep state of meditation where I am connected to my true self. And I think that's really exciting that there's an actual technique out there that most of us have access to, depending on which yoga nidra we choose. I personally am creating and writing my own yoga nidra and then taping them and saying them back to myself. So most evenings, you know, going to bed ritual and the waking up ritual, I'm actually listening to my own voice take me back to my true self. And it's really powerful. We have Yoga Nidra Facilitators course coming up. We started every October and every March. So it doesn't matter when you're listening to this, you could join us twice a year. It's a six month program and you could learn how to do that for yourself, how to create Yoga Nidras that are applicable to you. For example, I recently had my pet Twilight pass away, a 16 plus year old dog. And I did a yoga nidra to help me with grieving and staying connected to twilight. It's beautiful. Every time I do it, I feel connected. So you could take the yoga nidra facilitators course to help you create for yourself. Or if you're a mental health professional, you might want to create yoga nidras for other people to help them have healing and support and So the six-month training program helps you develop these seven steps that will help you to first assess the person and determine, you know, what it is they might need in their yoga nidra, and then how to properly create the breathing techniques and the intention setting and going into body rotations and visualizations, how to create the correct sequence that is most likely to bring that person deeply home to themselves as a means of healing. So if you'd like more information about that, you can go to www.optimalstateyoganidra.com. And we're starting a new group in October. So we'd love to see you there. All right. With that, we are going to get into this interview. It is fascinating. I hope you enjoy it. And at the end of the interview, you are invited to do a practice tonight and every night, in fact. And I really hope you'll take that invitation. And I'll talk more about that in the closing after you hear the interview. All right, let's do it. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I'm your host. The Yoga Therapy Hour is here to support you on your mental, emotional, and spiritual journey. We talk about things like nervous system regulation, spiritual connection, how to be more involved in your community, how to communicate well, how to manage your mental health. There are so many things that we are excited to share with you in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast, and we hope that you will share it with your friends, family, colleagues. All right, let's get into today's episode. I'm very happy to welcome our guest, Mahil Clerk today, who's joining us from Mexico City, Mexico. Welcome. Thank you, Amy. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. When I saw 
the opportunity to interview you, I got a little flutter in my heart because this is such an interesting topic. And you are, I understand it, a psychotherapist that helps people in the healing and creative imagination, but mainly through, I don't know if you would call it dream analysis. I think you call it dream incubation. Is that correct? Yeah, I probably would say even dream work or something to that extent that is broader than the classic way of analyzing dreams. And I wrote a book on dream incubation. That is the old technique where you ask your dream a question before you go to bed in order to elicit a response. So that is all part of the larger scope of dream work. And you've written a beautiful book called Dream Guidance. And we'll be putting that in the show notes and linking the domain of that so people can check that out. So when you say it goes beyond dream analysis, why don't you just frame that for us? Well, the classic way of working with dreams, and that I also recently again experienced, is that people ask, what does it mean if I'm bitten by a snake? And that's actually a really complex question that uh, it cannot even be answered that much. But that is where most people think about, oh, it's dream interpretation or analyzing your dreams. However, dreams are experiences that we have at night. They're really worlds that we find ourselves in, and we have an experience. And there's so much more that we can do with an experience than just thinking what it means. We can sit in the energy of the experience, we can experience the different states of consciousness that is present in the dream. We can engage the dream or the dream figures and relate to them or talk to them. We can become lucid in dreams in which we can more proactively do all kinds of experiments in the dream and ask for healing and creativity and fly around. There's a lot that one can do in the dream that goes way beyond dream analysis. And probably the ultimate step in dream work is to use dreams as a way to understand the nature of reality. How is the dream world constructed? And then you learn how that is constructed, that reality is constructed, and then you can uh, achieve uh, enlightenment uh, according to some of the uh, Eastern, mainly Eastern traditions or Sufi traditions. The way that you describe that, it almost sounds like an alternate universe or an alternate timeline that you can be living in simultaneously to this reality that you and I are having in an awake state together, but that also maybe it can kind of cross over that the two can inform each other. Yes, beautifully said. It's indeed uh, the experience that anyone has and anyone can verify that for himself when they go to a dream they recently had or a dream that's pretty fresh or vital one notices that you're in a world. So it's not that the dream is a letter or a message to you. You're in a world where you meet a crocodile or your old neighbor and he says something and become angry or afraid and they do something. So one is indeed, we live in an alternative reality, an other reality at night that we tend to dismiss a little bit. So we live in another alternative reality but that reality doesn't disappear the moment we open our eyes. It continues to coexist next to this reality and is interconnected and that we can continue to have experiences with dream figures that can be supportive during the day 
or we meet beings in the other world that can be of support while we're in this reality. And so we can have what indigenous cultures would call a, an ongoing relationship with the other world. And I mean, could we take it as far as to say that that world is still existing even when we flip over into the awake state? Yes. Wow. So when you say that you're not doing dream analysis, you're actually helping us understand our unconscious, which might be over there in the other alternate reality and using those dreams to inform us what our unconscious wants us to know. Is that a fair analysis? Yeah, it's in what you hinted at before. It is interconnected with this state. It doesn't disappear. It continues to influence us. So our repressed emotions and feelings, they disappear, but they are not truly gone. Or mm-hmm. our wounds or traumas or the source of anxiety or the source of our talent. It coexists in a different layer of consciousness. And that layer of consciousness manifest itself as a world so consciousness always manifests as a world and those worlds surprisingly coexist people can even see it when they read a book and maybe you have an experience that you were reading a novel when you're really into the story where do you see the story being played out it's very often around us it's like it's not really in here i'm in the story here are the trees and there is this and I see it here, and the rest of the room has disappeared. The mm. room is, of course, still there. Uh, Uncle Joe is still uh, sitting in that chair, but I don't see Uncle Joe anymore. I see this other world. So this other world just comes up and coexists within this world. And so we constantly live with these multiple worlds coexisting, and they float in and out. I think this is a very yogic concept that what we decide to put our attention and focus on becomes the reality and that there may be all sorts of other realities that if we don't put our attention and focus on those, that's not going to be in our consciousness. So we can actually choose the reality. I guess it would be reality with a small R, not, not the reality, but we can choose the reality that we want to experience at any given time. So it seems similar to the way we see it in yoga philosophy. Yes. And in the dream, that is where dreams help inform how reality gets created. And the dream is very easy to see where you focus upon. That uh, if I'm walking in a dream and let's say I become lucid or I'm just in the dream and I look at the left and I see a street and I walk into the street, then my whole reality goes there. If mm-hmm. I had decided to go to the dogs at the right side, then my reality had created that. And so in a very simple way, indeed, where we put our focus, that co-creates our reality. That almost made me feel like a video game where you're yeah. kind of walking down the street and you can decide which way you want to go. And so that's how you would define lucid dreaming. Like you have the ability to choose in your dreams. Lucid dreaming literally means a dream in which you know that you're dreaming mm. you're in a dream and you see your grandmother and you go like, Oh my gosh, that's strange. Grandma has died. Oh my gosh, I'm in a dream. And then you're in the same world, but you've just become lucid aware like, Oh, I'm in a dream reality. 
I don't have to run away from this crocodile because it's a dream crocodile. Mm. And I can now ask the crocodile, who are you? I can send it love. I can fly away. Uh, usually it helps to engage with that what we fear, but it opens up for all kinds of opportunities that if we're not lucid aware, we're just in an habitual pattern. Ooh, scary, gone. Gosh, I don't know if I want to say this, but one of the only times I can remember being in a lucid dream was the night my mother passed away and she came to me and it was exactly that. I knew I was dreaming. Yeah. She and I were having a conversation as if she was right there in the room and, you know, I won't go into the dream, but it was powerful because it made me understand like that lucid dream is actually real. It's something else. It's real. Right. Yeah. I think that's a crucial element is real. It's not as real as this reality, but it's different real. So sure, it's this chair is real in this reality. But in the other reality, you can have an experience with a deceased loved one and have a real conversation. And those beings are real. And I understand that's part of what brought you on this path. I had read that your father had died when you were 10. And that caused, obviously, quite a bit of heartache. But when you discovered that you could connect with him through your dreams, something became much lighter for you. Yes. I was very closed off due to the lack of dealing with the heartbreak and the grief and not knowing how to do that. And then I started having dreams. And in a series of dreams, I encountered my father. And some of them, I had the feeling, oh, this is a real visitation. And which brought to me the sense of, oh, life goes on after death, which was a huge insight and it changes when that becomes one's own experience. Whether it's true or not, it's my experience and that uh, I can still have a relationship with him in the other world. Sure, we don't go for dinner anymore. He's there. And that was very healing to have that. I know there's people that want that. I remember some friends of mine saying, I'm asking for my mother or my father to come back and visit me and I'm waiting and I'm longing. Is there a way to stimulate that and help people connect with their loved ones that have passed on? Yes. The research in general shows that very often a loved one comes in the first year and a half to visit their loved ones here. So even if people don't do anything, it very often just spontaneously happens. Then we can put out the intention and ask for, I would love to meet mom or dad or grandpa or whoever, partner, and go through a series of rituals or intention setting. And sometimes that works. And sometimes the dream feels it's not the right time. And it's very hard, especially when we miss them the most, we would love for them to come. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And it's not really because you're in a good state or in a bad state. Or It's hard to say why, in some cases, it happens. But uh, so people can increase the likelihood by putting an intention and then leaving it up to nature, the other side, to see if it can happen. And do you believe that they are actually on the other side and they're crossing over? Or is it more that that person and my love for them or my 
needing resolution or whatever it is, why I'm asking them to come back, that that exists in my mind and they exist in my mind. And therefore I can call them back into my psyche. Yes. Well, in another way of asking that question is somewhat of is, are they a symbol or are they real others? And I think sometimes I would uh, dream about my father and think the dream uses my father as a symbol for a fathering character. And other times I feel like I'm really connecting with my father and that if I'm somewhat lucid, I could ask him a question and he can tell me information that I don't know, or he shares something that I'm not aware of. So mm. when that happens, the one that makes me believe that they are real, that's really him. And also I think just like there's a certain sense that you feel like, oh, this is really mom. There's some internal conviction. Well, there were things that happened in that dream. I'll just tell you a little bit. I went on her life review with her. Oh. She showed me things in the dream about trips she'd taken to Africa, things that I'd never even seen pictures of. Uh-huh. And I got up the next morning and asked her husband to look through her photographs and saw those same pictures of her time in Africa that I had seen in the dream. I mean, that's real. That isn't something you can just make up. That's not a symbol. Right. That's not a symbol. Yeah. And then Carl Jung, who opened the world of dreams up to me initially, he had an experience where he met a uh, figure in the other world. And Jung said to that figure, oh, you're a symbol of wisdom. And the figure became upset. And he said, I'm not a symbol. And he uh, insisted on being that lives in the other world with a reality of its own, that Jung needed to get out of his mind that everything is a symbol. And did Jung come to that conclusion that it's not all symbolic? Yeah, that character, what he said, it helped him realize the reality of the psyche. Mm, Meaning there are things we know deeply inside or intuitively that maybe our conscious mind doesn't know, but they truly do exist and somewhere inside of us we understand that is that what you're saying one that the psyche is real not that it is something like oh it was just a fantasy but it's Mm. a real reality on its own and that in that reality mom grandpa or some other being lives it's their natural habitat they insist on that they are independent agents and especially in lucid dreaming where you can converse with dream characters you notice that some of these dream characters are very intelligent and have a higher awareness than myself and they know more. (laughs) And yet, could we flip it to say that sometimes the things we experience and the people and the places and the situations are symbolic for us to examine? Like when I read about your four-step process of dream incubation, it seems to me that is maybe looking at the symbolic nature and what does this mean for me in this human form right now? Yes, that makes also dream work a bit of an art. And sometimes it's uh, symbolic, sometimes it's real. I could dream about uh, my sister being pregnant. Now, it is possible that a dream informs me and I can check with her and then, oh, yes, I'm pregnant and how did you know? Or, no, I'm not. And then I know, oh, some sister-ish kind of energy in me 
is pregnant, is fertile for a, something new to come into the world, mm. and, uh, then it's more symbolic. Or, or a premonition, maybe. Yeah, or a premonition. That's the thing we don't know, right? No, we don't know. So we need to check and figure out. And sometimes it's more logic that something is symbolic than other times. The dream creates a world. The dream could portray if I'm stuck in a certain way in my life, that I walk into a one-way street with a wall at the end. Then the dream would portray it as a world where I literally walk into a one-way street. That is a kind of a metaphorical, symbolic representation in a three-dimensional reality of the language that I would use of, hey, I feel I'm stuck. I don't know where to go. I'm in a one-way street. That is the language of dreams. So is there a danger here, though? Because a few years ago, I was in a dream. I was walking down a street in a town in Minnesota called Red Wing, Minnesota. And the entire street, all the storefronts inside the store was rose quartz stone. And I felt so blissed out and I felt so happy to be there. And I woke up and I was like, wow, what was that about? And for a couple of years, I've always loved that dream. I love the feeling of it. I love going back into it. And that energy just makes me so, so happy. But recently I decided to move there for real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can we take it too far? I mean, to a lot of people, no, I didn't move there because of the dream, right? There's many reasons such as my parents live near there and, you know, yeah. but do you think we can take these dreams too far and start making life decisions that actually make no sense based on our dreams? Yes, we can. When we misread the dream. So there's always an ethical sense that we need to have and a certain practicality. Once I heard a dream about someone needing to kill a child. Now, if you take that literal, you're in significant danger. The dream could say that it would not really mean kill a child. It would be kill some childish part of yourself, killing like an end. That way of being so needy or throwing a tenter tantrum needs to end. Right. And the dream could say that. So there remains an ethical, somewhat practical way of still being responsible. Do I feel this dream really means I need to move or, or could move? It makes a suggestion or not. And it's up to us to make a decision. But uh, yeah, you can misread. You know, people also misread synchronistic events sometimes. Say more about that. I think people kind of get ungrounded and go into these alternate yeah. realities in their mind. And like you said, we're no longer following ethical principles or dharma, as we call it in yoga, where you have responsibilities to people that you have made promises to and you can't just eject. So what about that? For example, if these realities merge, you get these synchronistic events. The crows fly away the moment that uh, mom dies. Uh, mm. The clock stops ticking when mom dies. I think about Uncle Joe and the phone rings and there's Uncle Joe. I open a, a book on just the right page for what I needed to know. And now I start living in somewhat of a magical world. And the world is really magical, but also can lead to Oh, I see the number plate of this car with the 3777, and now I need to follow this car wherever it drives. 
I might start misreading the science as well. And so it, it remains an art. And in a certain way, the misreading leads to paranoia. And paranoia is a meaning disorder. I see meaning where there is no meaning. I start thinking that the number plate means I need to follow this car. Or I was just thinking about the business and then I see my favorite 333. And now I'm going to do that without further reflection. Is that why someone would have a guide like you to actually make sure they're staying grounded in a reality that can support them as a human being, like right here, right now? Like, could they come to someone like you who's a psychotherapist and do the dream incubation together, but also have an outside reference point? Like we say, we need in yoga. You need someone to make sure that you're not misperceiving, that you're staying in your ethics is that something that someone like you could do for someone? Yeah, and like many of us can be a reference point. It's easier to ask the right questions, can check it, preferably even have had certain experiences so that they can help you a little bit navigate through transformative experiences in life. But it can also be a good friend, a good sister or brother. It doesn't have to be a healing professional, but it's very often helpful I know in my own life, I've made much more progress because I've had a really good therapist that could help me than I ever could have done on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially if we're likely to float away. Yeah. I think some people are more prone towards paranoia and living in those alternate realities and actually leaving this reality. And maybe for that constitution, it might be helpful. And in yoga and Ayurveda, we call that a vata constitution. It might be helpful to have someone grounding them in this reality. Yeah, yeah. It comes back, uh, I think, at least I have uh, one foot really well planted in this reality. Yeah. Uh, this reality matters. And I'm going to flip it again. I love going back and forth. Yeah. On page 39 of your book, you talk about connecting to personal guides in other realms through your dreams. So tell us about that. I want a guide. <laughs> Maybe I have one and I just need to ask to meet it. <laughs> that is it. The old idea that comes back in any culture around the world. It's the oldest idea, most widespread notion is that we come into the world with a specific destiny, with specific karma, dharma to live out. But that with that comes also a figure that helps us and tries to keep us on the path. And that is either called spirit guide, or in the Greek tradition, that's the daimon. In the Roman tradition, it's the genius. North Africa, it's also a genie. A lot of traditions have imagined that we're actually not coming alone into this world, in the parallel world that we always have access to and that there's a figure or figures that try to help us realize the reason we're here. I want to go into this a little bit. I go into the Greek version, the daimon. Yes. Because in your book, you say the Greek word eudaimonia, which is often translated as happiness or flourishing, means that you and your daimon are together. And it goes on to talk about the prime way to meet your daimon in your dreams is to nurture the relationship through your dreams by engaging in dream incubation. The daimon wants to help us. It will sometimes force that help upon us. 
there's a tendency to think that the diamond or genius relates to an exceptional talent, yet that is not who it is. The diamond or genius is a talent that can come in many forms, some small, some big, some want public stage, others seek a role in their immediate environment, but all are equally valuable. Can you tell us about that? Because so many people in, especially yoga therapy, talk about eudaimonia, but we don't talk about it in that way. So I want to compare and contrast that. Yes. The daimon is this figure that is there to help us. And we can ask its help through dream incubation. So we can ask a daimon, what would you like to do? Or what would be helpful in this situation? And then it will respond through a dream or through intuitions throughout the day because it's also there throughout the day, if we're really on our own path, doing our own talent, whether it is uh, cooking or yard work or making a podcast or doing yoga, and we get a sense that we get in the flow of our life, that actually even time becomes a little bit relative. Time usually feels like, oh, that was uh, already an hour later. Those are moments that we merge with the diamond and that the diamond lives through us. So the diamond is really the one that is drawing or doing yoga and we are the vessel through which it can do its work. And we feel really good about it. And that particular form of feeling good, that's what the Greeks call eudaimonia. Mm. When you and your diamond are seen together, you do things that belong to you and my people, everyone knows times that they were in that flow. Sometimes it's happiness, but it's not like, ha, 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 I'm so happy. It's like I'm fulfilled kind of happiness. It's funny that you mentioned the podcast because that's how I feel every time I interview someone. I get into this altered state of consciousness and it's exactly what you're describing. I feel like something else is living through me. So that's a beautiful way to think of it. And is that a being, the daimon? Is it an actual being? Well, it's imagined usually as a being and we feel it like a flow of energy and maybe Mm -hmm. there's not much uh, difference between it when it flows through us. In the dream, we would meet as a being. Mm -hmm. Very often it's in a dream, take on the form and shape of someone we admire or a movie star or a sports hero or a teacher because normally we wouldn't recognize it in its normal form. So if people say, oh, I don't know, I don't know what's my spirit guide. Well, look at who are the people you admire that you meet in the dream. Might your spirit guide take on the form and shape of that figure to engage with you? And is the alternate also true that when I'm doing things where I'm ignoring my daimon and I'm clearly getting off track and choosing bad choices and is my daimon unhappy then that I'm not staying close to it? It looks like the daimon starts getting restless and that we feel restless or we start feeling very anxious or we start feeling depressed because that energy is no longer there and then we know we're in the wrong place. And the depression and those problems are actually not disorders, some are, but very often they're not really disorders, they're orders of the psyche to awaken us to, hey, you're strolling off your path. You're anxious because you're going in the wrong direction and something in you feels like, oh yeah, I shouldn't be here. 
but you're ignoring it. And so the alarm system goes off and it's better to listen to the alarm system or in a depression. Very often people come in with a depression to me and then talk a little bit and then it's like, oh yeah, I, I hate my job. Well, there's probably the source of your depression. Not always, but if you're in a job you hate or a relationship you hate, you get depressed and you better not medicate that, but act on it to see what you can change about it. So interesting you should say that because that's what I was thinking. Most of us, when we can't sleep or we get depressed or anxious, our first go-to instead of evaluating our life and trying to find a way to get our heart and our mind reconnected, we want to cover those symptoms up. And that's not to say that some people don't need to be on medication, right? right? But it's so interesting that that is muting in some cases, the part of you that's calling out for help. Yeah. And there you can use this dream incubation also as a way of, let's say you're very anxious and then say anxiety, what do you want to tell me? And then see what kind of dream shows up. It takes a bit of courage but your diamond's going to be stoked. What? You want to know? This Let's go. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. And then, then you very often see that the helpful side of the psyche, because of the face we show it, very often gets mirrored back. So if we are interested, it shows back interest. It always loves us. It's not really in question. But if we want to connect, it's delighted. If we want to go on our own, it lets us go, but there's some consequences to our actions. It's so interesting. In yoga philosophy, we talk about the purusha or the soul, and that it's kind of like you're riding in a car with your soul and then this physical, tangible body-mind, and the two are riding together, but sometimes the body-mind physicality manifestation takes over, and other times the soul is in charge, and it, it kind of reminds me of that, that we'd have a lot less suffering if we let the daimon or the soul be in charge, and we did the following as opposed to the reverse. Yeah, and we live in a culture that doesn't truly teach that. There's a dominance of the world is makeable, even in the manifestation ideas. I can manifest whatever I want instead of what would my soul want to manifest? What's the karma that wants to live through me? It's a different question and get a different manifestation. A few minutes ago, you said that if you have the courage to ask that, tell me about that courage, because so many people that I work with if they actually listen to that, they'd have to make major shifts in their life and it would be yeah. total chaos. Yeah. So tell me about that courage and how people gain that to be able to say, what do you want to live through me? Karma and Dharma. Yeah. Well, I would treat this phenomenon within as a wise old woman or man. <laughs> and you're visiting someone who has your best interest at heart. You're just gonna be better off becoming who you are, realizing your karma, than escaping it. The escape will always lead to neurotic tendencies, psychosomatic problems, etc. Even if it's a security that's not really secure, being in a relationship that is not good for you. But sometimes choose the devil we know over the devil we don't know. Mm. If we turn then to the wise old woman within or outside, wherever she or he or it lives, 
just imaginally you call it the wise old woman, then I'm really scared. Just share your concerns. I'm really scared to leave, or I'm really scared to do this. What is one thing that I could do? And then it starts helping, and you do as much as you can, and then you stop and you do a little bit more. But if you team up with the wise old woman, you get better insights, better intuitions, things in the outside world start conspiring to help you, and you start noticing, hey, I'm not alone. Even if I leave, something in me knows this is the right thing. I feel good about this. And sure, I'm scared, but I can still go through with it because there's support. And just tell it, I'm scared. What's one little step I can take? Can you tell me a little bit more? How can I develop more confidence? How do I deal with this fear? And then over time, things break open and you create a breakthrough. It sounds to me like you're talking about titration, just, or in, in yoga, we call that a krama, just one little step. We don't have to be at the end game. We just have to have the willingness to be receptive for one tiny little door to open and then see what's in that new room. Yes. And that, that courage just to say, I'm open. You may not even go in that room, but to be courageous enough to say, I'm willing to peek in there. <laughs> what could be in there? That's all. And then you just keep doing that over and over, right? Yes. And then one sees that life also changes. The position we take, we show courage. And so it helps. It shifts mm -hmm. and becomes a little bit easier. And usually, I, at least I know from my life and I hear from many people, you think, oh gosh, I was in this horrible situation. I was with this relationship. Shall I leave? Will I be alone forever? No, 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 no. You leave and three months later, you say, gosh, that was the best thing ever. But then, why did I stay so long? Yeah. It's it usually... We just don't know what we don't know. Right. And we fear the unknown and we always will. There's no amount of psychological insight that will make us not fear the unknown. It's just maybe the psychological insight or the experience like, oh, if I go into the unknown, there are invisible helpers. And when if this feels the right thing, I can live with myself. I can go to bed at night and I sleep well. And I like to tell people when I'm working with them, you can always step back. It doesn't mean you're going to leave the relationship or leave the job. Like the tiny little bit of courage it takes to make that first step of exploration. You haven't already lost everything, right? You're just willing to look at it honestly. Yes. Yeah. And it reminds me of, I was born in South Africa. There's this African tale that where the older generation teaches the younger generation about fear. And they do that by sharing the story about how the lions hunt. So lions hunt in packs. In the pack, there's always one lion whose roar is far more mighty than its ability to run. So the old lion sits at one end of the field, and the younger lion sits here on the other end. And then they wait till the gazelle or zebra comes by, and when the zebra is in the middle, the old lion roars. So the zebra gets scared and runs away towards the young lions who sit here in the field waiting for their dinner to arrive. <laughs> it's over. So, says the old generation to the young generation, run towards the roar. Run towards what you fear. You're actually more safe there. You'll outrun the, out, the old lion. 
You'll mm -hmm. never outrun the young lions. And so if you move towards the fear, you're actually more safe. It's not that there's no danger, but you're more safe than if you run away from your fear. Because if you run away from your fear, you're stuck in a relationship or in a job you don't like, or shall I not start this business? And you run away, you run away from the vitality of your own life. And in a certain way, you run towards your own death. Maybe not physical death, but... But maybe. <laughs> maybe even or energetic death. Or when you come at that life review that you described from mom, and you see, and you look at, gosh, why didn't I start that job, that business? Because yeah. I was afraid. And then it's like, ugh, the regret. That's a beautiful story. And I love throughout your book how you bring this back to the indigenous wisdom that this is what we're talking about. This is how it's been in indigenous cultures. And it's only in modern society that we have somehow convinced ourselves that this doesn't have value and that this is like made up mythological, magical thinking. I'm even thinking of some family members that are very rational and logical. And I honestly think if they heard this podcast, they would say, I can't allow myself to go into this world of mystery and awe. I got my kids to take care of. I got to focus. I can't even handle the first world I'm in. What would you say to that person? That uh, by allowing the support that is in the second world to come in, the first world becomes slightly easier to live in. But there's a lot of a support, like the indigenous cultures and union psychology think this enterprise that I am, I am just a front man in a way larger enterprise. With me are the ancestors, the spirit guides, who knows what. And so I'm actually not alone. And if I connect with the others that are in me and live through me, I can function better. I love that answer. Yeah. Is there anything we haven't talked about today that you think is important for us to know that we could end on? Is there some special wisdom you'd like to share? or a secret that we need to know. I would love to encourage people that have listened to this to ask their, their dream tonight a question. Mm. And I would encourage, take a question that is most, of which the energy is most relevant on this moment. Like whatever it is, I've been thinking about how to lose weight, great. I've been thinking, why do I always have argument with my mom? Do that. If there's nothing really speaking to you, I want to offer a suggestion to ask, for example, what is one thing I can do to love myself more deeply? Then write down the question, talk to the dream, maybe do a little ritual, like a prayer or a dance, maybe yoga for five or 10 minutes, light a candle, whatever comes up that shows that focus intention to the other world, that you're really visiting the old wise woman or God or the divine or the larger awareness and say, I've been listening to Amy and Machil today. I'm not <laughs> sure if this works. It was weird, but I want to try this. <laughs> Tell me why am I having so much trouble with my mom or what's one way I can love myself more deeply. Go to bed, sleep, write down the dream in the morning and give it some time because some dreams are clear. Some you just need to work a little and or you write it down in the morning and the afternoon you read it again. You're like, oh yeah, now I get it. 
So write it down and try this because we all have this support system within that's available to anyone, no matter education or you need no practice, you don't even need to believe this. Try it and then you get some dream support. You know, I'm going to see people for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years and they're going to come up and say, I listened to that strange podcast <laughs> or that wonderful podcast. Yeah, yeah. Here's what happened. So I cannot wait yeah. Yeah. to hear the stories that are going to result from that suggestion you just gave. And I want to give another suggestion because I've read it and I'm going to continue to read it. This book called Dream Guidance. And just so everybody knows how you spell your name, because it is Dutch and it's a little bit hard mm-hmm. to understand if you're not Dutch. Your name is M-A-C-H-I-E-L and then K-L-E-R-K. And your website is michelkirk.com. And anything else we need to know? Do you do workshops? I see that you have been at Esalon and some other places, but how could people work with you if they wanted to find you and do some of this work together? Yeah, thank you for asking. Well, actually, Esalen is going to be on August 25-28 this month. Mm. It's going to be broadcasted, but if it's before, you can leave it in. There's still some space available there. And uh, people can just go to this website. I'm a psychotherapist that works with a whole range of problems or challenges that people have, uh, or they want to work on their dreams or creativity or any of that sense. They can subscribe to your newsletter. On yeah, your website. I'll work on that later. And is this your first book or are there other no. books? Yeah. And you have the good fortune that Hay House picked it up, which means it's distributed all over the world. People can buy it through Amazon, but also uh, on my website, there are other book depositories that deliver worldwide. And you've been on many other podcasts if they want to listen to more of your work. I'm noticing it says Deepak Chopra in conversation with you, mm-hmm. um, yeah. several other podcasts. So that that might be a place on your website too to find the podcast link to hear. I'm sure each interview is quite different, I would imagine. That's the interesting thing that uh, everyone brings their own angle to it, which makes it unique. Mm. We started out of a dream, a company called the Jung Platform, J-U-N-G Platform. I had it in a dream, therefore I'm advocating, listen to your dreams because they can even provide vocational support. And I started a company that works out well, and we provide a lot of psychological courses for the general public from synchronicity, shadow work, dream work, African indigenous shamanic wisdom. Wow. So is that on the same website or is that a totally different website? It's a different website, uh, platform, J-U-N-G platform.com. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes too, along with your, the website I just showed on the screen. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. It was such an honor and a pleasure. And I really think that our audience will benefit from listening to this podcast and finding you to explore these very subtle realms of consciousness. So thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. It was a delight to be with you. I just want to say thank you for this informative and interesting interview. And I think the intersection of Jungian dream analysis and 
understanding that the indigenous cultures all over the world really strongly believed in looking at your dreams as a way or a window into your consciousness. I think that connection to yoga philosophy could be an entire exploration of its own. And today we just barely tapped the surface of that. I hope you'll take the invitation to practice Yoga Sutra chapter one, verse 38, where Patanjali says that insight into your dreams can be a powerful window into your soul to understand those deeper fears and aversions and attachments to understand what it is that wants to live through you. I think that was a really important thing. We always ask, why am I here? What am I going to do? What about letting your ancestors and your support system and your guides talk to you through your dreams? Why can't you or me remain open and just say, I'd like support around this. I'd like to know more. I have the courage to step into this and to hear things. And I'm courageous enough to just open that door, open a crack. I don't know where it will lead, but I'm willing. I hope you'll all go get a dream journal and do exactly what our guest had talked about, where you write down a question or ask for some support or say, I'd love to talk to you, grandma, and then do a short ritual each night. Put that by your bed, wait and see if the dreams happen for you. And then it's my experience that if I don't write them down immediately, they are gone because I'm in that kind of ethereal place and it's so subtle and so refined. And as soon as I pop out of it, I can't remember what was happening in there. So for me, I have to keep that dream journal and a pen right by my bed because even waking up enough to go get the piece of paper and the pen to write it down I'm already out of that reality. I can't go back in there very easily, usually, unless I fall back asleep, which I oftentimes don't have time for. So maybe we should try this. And when we see each other, we can share these beautiful dream experiences that we have and the wisdom that we gained from them as a way to come closer to our true self and to understand ourselves more deeply. So that is the dream challenge. And then also remember that the Optimal State has a free course on Kajabi called the Optimal State 12 Days of Yoga Nidra. It's completely free. You can find it on www.optimalstateyoganidra.com. Over 130 people have already done it in about six weeks where it's a self-paced course. You just go in there and you do your 12 days of yoga nidra. And I think that might be a beautiful thing to do before bedtime also, or maybe when you're in that kind of ethereal state early in the morning, we're getting really great feedback. So many people are enjoying that free course and we would love to invite you to join us also. Thank you so much for being with us today. We look forward to talking to you next week and until then be well. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who 
does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.